Thank you all for introducing yourselves. And I will start with a Māori greeting. Kia ora, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Uh, I'd like to welcome you all to our class uh, termed seminar called uh, Creative Pedagogies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Uh, I'd like to particularly welcome uh, Dr. Michelle Grenier to our uh, class tonight from uh, the University of New Hampshire. Um, and uh, first of all, I'd like to ask Michelle, what's the weather like in, uh, is it, are you in Durham or? I am in Durham. It was nice today, of course, not nearly as warm as North Carolina, but I think it approached 50 degrees. We're getting the 50s, 60s, daffodils are coming up. So we're very happy the trees are starting to bloom. Um, just a little bit cooler. What's the weather like down there? Well, it's been excellent here today. It was uh, mid seventies, took uh, Sandy the dog for a walk and we've got uh, azaleas and rhododendrons and uh, dogwoods blooming. So yeah. pretty nice. Great. The first time I met Michelle was at uh, UNH, the University of New Hampshire. And I worked there from 1997 to 2002. And Michelle was a PhD student there, as well as a teacher in the UNH program. And, uh, you know, Michelle and I uh, worked a lot together and spent a lot of uh, time together. Michelle introduced me to Pat Yitten, a great teacher from Northampton Elementary uh, in New Hampshire. And then we, I know we, we traveled to a lot of uh, NC, New Hampshire, AFID conference conferences and ARA and AFRID and we spent a lot of quality time together basically. So um, it's great to be still in touch with you and uh, I'd like to, to, to pass it over to you now uh, and uh, for you to, to talk to us for this evening and uh, start with a little presentation and then uh, I know the students have got a lot of good questions for you. Great. Thanks, Ben. When I first met Ben, his hair was not the same color that it is now, right? Uh, and it was, yeah, I'm like over 20 years ago. So when you say you're all PhD students, it reminds me of the time when I was there and had so many questions about why and what, what I was doing, where I was going to be. And um, Ben was a mentor. And so it's really cool to see that he continues to be a mentor and we worked closely in teacher education practices. He was on my dissertation committee. Um, and here I am now in part to his uh, mentoring and his work with me. So thank you, Ben. I know it's just amazing what comes around. So good luck to all of you. I know that being in a PhD program can be you know, challenging sometimes, questioning my own daughters in a PhD program. Um, about creative uh, pedagogy. So. It's an interesting term now, and I think given the um, COVID school closures, I work with teacher educators and I work with um, teachers in the school, cooperating teachers, um, student teachers. Before I was a PhD student, I was a physical education teacher um, and I went into an education department. It wasn't a, a physical education department, it was education for my uh, teaching. But what's been really, really interesting is how teachers have had to adapt. And when you talk about creative pedagogies, I've seen it firsthand, which was an unexpected 
bonus as part of all of this. So fortunately, I work with some fabulous elementary school PE teachers who have had student teachers and my practicum students who have to do 60 hours. And well, I'll send you a link after you can see our Seacoast YouTube page. But what we did um, through my classes is, is developed instructional videos. Um, and what was really interesting when you apply the principle of UDL, which we'll talk about uh, during this presentation, and you're talking about um, using equipment in a way that we've never used before. So typically we associate particular sports with particular pieces of equipment like hockey and a hockey stick. Well, when you don't have a hockey stick and you're trying to teach striking, you take um, a vacuum cleaner extension pole and a cereal box and you tape that to the um, vacuum cleaner extension and that becomes the stick. And then you take socks and you wrap tape around them and that those become the balls. And so this by natural default became a way for my students to learn to actually detach from what they typically associate as a particular skill, a piece of equipment and the way it should be done in order to present it um, through a instructional uh, piece and or to a remote community. And fortunately, the teachers that I'm working with who are practicing teachers were able to get feedback um, and provide feedback. So I have seen, and I've been teaching this class for a long time, but I've, the learning that occurred for me as a result of what, how teachers had to adapt in order for their own students out in the schools, as well as their cooperating with the student teachers who've been working with them has been uh, a great learning experience for me. And while some teachers have done really well with remote learning, um, other teachers have really struggled, especially in physical education. So uh, the whole notion of creative pedagogy uh, has, re has been redefined. And I think in higher education, we'll be looking at, uh, by as a result of all of this, the responsibility of us as educators to think um, outside of, um, not that I'm promoting online learning or charter school, but just to think differently about the way material gets presented. As we say in New Hampshire, you won't say this in North Carolina, there's no more need for snow days. Kids to take, they may take the day off from school, but they're not going to lose a day of school. So no more snow days in New Hampshire, you know. Um, and that's been uh, really this, what we've learned through all of this process. It's been fascinating. Um, that's just a little bit of, um, of uh, an introduction. So before we get started, can I ask yeah, you a love question? It. I'm so I sorry to interrupt before you go forward. But anytime, anytime something. I'm taking oh, questions. Yeah, you've already said something that I wanted to ask about. And um, so both Judy and I work with um, pre-service teachers as well. Um, and in North Carolina, our interns were not allowed to continue to assist their cooperating teacher. Um, was that the case in New Hampshire? Who did not allow them to uh, participate? It was a cross between the university and the Department of Public Instruction. You mean the State Department at the state level? Yeah, no, that was absolutely not the case. So our State Department had to sort of redefine, you know, criteria hours in school, but they became very flexible with that. Um, our teachers 
it was just an expectation that we didn't consider wasn't going to happen. So I had two levels. I have practicum students who were supposed to do 60 hours. That was a little bit more challenging because they were kind of in and out. Um, and then I had student teachers who are in every day. Um, so it, it was not even a discussion that they wouldn't continue to work with their cooperating teachers simply because this is what they're supposed to do. And we, we approached it right away. I was like, this is going to be a learning experience. You know, let's just look at this. And at some point in your careers, you're going to be answering some questions about this experience. So no, we had none, we had no um, sort of logistical issues with regards to who could have access. Some of them couldn't have access to the school platforms that they used. Mm -hmm. um, some of them could. So that was just dependent on the particular school. Interesting. Great. Thank you. That was not the case. And so our, uh, both what you would call your practicum students, um, our interns and our student teachers were literally cut off from where they were and what they were doing and who they were working with and told, don't come back in the building. Don't, 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 don't don't and don't. And so um, fascinating, sorry, just to hear you say that you guys were able be to make that transition because um, what it's felt like is that um, it's turned teaching, what we're doing right now, what teachers are doing right now is not real because they weren't allowed to continue to help them as the sort of hidden message in what's, in what's happened. Yeah. here yes sorry there we go no 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 the, <laughs> the meeting i had before this for an hour and a half was with cooperating teachers and student teachers and all of them were a collective zoom meeting and we were discussing how they were working together and so they could each share and that's been the other interesting thing is to see how they have been able to share because typically i would go into one class at one time observe a student teacher and give feedback to the teacher and the cooperating teacher but now I've, it's always a platform a zoom so everybody's hearing collective work and I'm hearing their own sort of creative pedagogy yeah. and each teacher has been able to demonstrate that in a way, but we've also collectively shared that experience, which I had no expectation or knowledge that that would happen. And it's been a very rewarding experience, perhaps not so much all the time, but from a teacher educator point of sure. view, it's, it was an unintended benefit of the whole process. That's great. Thank you. The, the, um, Michelle, that's really great. But it, 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 that's also saying that uh, maybe we can learn something from this that, you know, student teaching, supervision, all that dynamic of the triad, you know, is uh, a lot of the silos of it are broken down. It's not a two-way discussion. It's a, you know, multi-level uh, interaction, which I think is, that's very positive. You, you should write that up, Michelle, by the way. Yeah, and... I, there's a PhD student who will, be, who will be interviewing, but I think what you're saying, Ben, is also I won't do, I'll do my school observations, but I think collectively we'll continue to have bi-weekly meetings with cooperating teachers and student teachers because they will learn from each other that way. So thank you for that uh, point. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, other questions or comments or uh, thoughts about that? Um, so today um, we were going to talk a little bit about um, 
when we look at creative pedagogies, I started as a physical education teacher, became quickly interested in students with disabilities, just by mere fact of, you know, when I first, my first job up in New Hampshire was in this, the sort of the lowest tier school, which meant they had most of the kids with behavior and or physical disabilities. Um, and, but that became an interesting challenge to me. And uh, my PhD, when I worked with Ben, we did a case study of a teacher who had students with um, physical disability, cerebral palsy, and she did cooperative learning. And we just really looked at what the dynamics of that classroom uh, were. And that was way back, you know, that was in 2000. So it was kind of um, an innovation. And I've continued to look at the whole construct of what inclusion means. Um, uh, when we understand inclusion and it because it's such a big country it's so vastly and differently understood depends on depending on where you are and um, mo more recently the whole notion of universal design for teaching and how that can impact and think about uh impact teachers practices so um with that what i'd like to do before i share my screen is how i know some of you you've all taught many of you taught in schools, what is your experience with students with disabilities? Anybody can, Eddie, you can start. And you're a teacher uh, in yes. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I indeed have. Uh, when I was teaching in China, you know, I was a uh, instructor for uh, the physical activity class in, in one university. And one of my students, I remember he's disabled and he, uh, he didn't have, he only had one hour, you know, the, the, physical, the physical activity class that I, that I taught was soccer. And then I asked him if he would like to, if he would like to have lower standards on the assessments or if, if he would like to have some other assessments that he feel comfortable. And he just refused. He said, I want just uh, to have the same standard as other students. So I just because you know soccer and actually we just play with our fit. And uh, then I, I just uh, put him to the uh, same assessment as other students. Great. So I, ju I just think the self-esteem the, for the disabled students is sometimes very strong. So uh, you have to listen their voice to, to know if they would like to have some adapted uh, assessment or adapted. Right. Uh, yeah, that's my Great. experience. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Other other experiences, just maybe we'll go, you know, generally, yes, I've taught, no, yes, some classes. Uh, Jennifer, you were a classroom teacher? Uh, yes. So I taught everything from um, inclusion, math, quote, inclusion, mathematics. So I love that we're talking about what that means. So I had um, middle schoolers with um, a special education um, teacher in the room with me. So we, we co-taught a lot. Um, I also taught, um, for a long time in North Carolina, gifted education was also under the umbrella of exceptional students. And so I taught everything all the way up through high school mathematics to uh, gifted eighth graders and, um, and then had students with physical disabilities, um, all throughout my career, and because of where I was teaching in, in Guilford County, when they closed the school for the deaf, uh, we became an unofficial um, deaf magnet. And so I also taught students who were um, hearing impaired. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Judy? 
Yes, so when I was an elementary school teacher, well, in our county, which is, um, I, I was working in Greensboro, North Carolina area, so the, the school system would have, uh, and that's actually when I started late 90s, uh, had, I think, nine adaptive physical education teachers that would rotate around to the different schools and have a, a pretty lofty caseload, but as people retired, they didn't hire new, so I think now they're, they may be down to six adaptive physical education teacher. So that was great for me being a, new, a newer teacher to have someone to come in to bounce off ideas. They couldn't always come to the classes based on their large caseloads, of course, but it was good to have those tips. And then eventually our school, uh, similar to Jennifer's story, when they started rearranging closing facilities and, and we, uh, we actually had um, two developmentally delayed classes and we also had two self-contained autistic classrooms where I said, please, they need to come into my class. Don't hold them out. You need to be in our space, sharing our space. Thank you. Donald? Yeah, um, I suppose I would have experienced uh, working with uh, students with special needs disabilities uh, in University of Limerick as well. Um, I would have um, sat a class with Dan Dr. Daniel Tyndall. Uh, mm -hmm. He got a, uh, an iPlay, pre-started the iPlay program just as I was uh, graduating in Limerick. So that would have been a first experience. And that was a... Uh, on the first kind of um, on the first classes of its kind, I guess, for uh, PE teachers or pre-service teachers in uh, in University of Limerick, and then in my own experience, I would have taught a multitude of kids with uh, physical uh, physical or learning disabilities, uh, and you know, ad admittedly, a lot of the time falling short in meeting their needs uh, and not addressing them, and very much just getting on with you know, or paying a lip service to it a lot of times. But I also had some really good experiences and my old high school, we would have uh, had a moderate general learning disability unit as well. And we would have integrated those students in with uh, mainstream students as well too, in classes and teaching them to learn and work with each other as well too. So uh, a bit of a mixed bag really, uh, so. Thank you, Donald. Yes, and I want to pronounce your name, but I won't do a good job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I work as an elementary school teacher back in South Korea for about five years, yeah, four and a half a year. And most of my experience was, uh, was when I uh, was as a classroom teacher. So I really didn't have students with disability, but when, when I was working as an English teacher in elementary school for about one semester, I had some students with disability. So um, I think, the other students were really trying to uh, help students with disability. But when, as soon as I start some games or some kind of, you know, activities, they're, they're kids, they're still kids. So they just forget about that. They really have to include the students with disability. And yeah, it was really challenging for me to, balance between their their needs and uh, inclusion of students with disability. Thank you for that. Thank you for everything. Um, so uh, I'm going to pull up my uh, PowerPoint and I'll give you a very quick primer <laughs> on we're not necessarily talking about inclusion because inclusion is both a placement and a practice uh, and you can get into these discussions about really what constitutes inclusion. But what I'm gonna share with you, um, I'm gonna share my screen right now. And um, 
Okay, so can everybody see my screen? Yes. All right. Um, this presentation, basically who I am, who you are, tell me a little bit about your experiences, what are your educational practices, and I think we shared that in the previous conversation. Um, this was done as part of an undergraduate class. I had them answer a few questions based on a case study. So I think within it, it goes relatively quickly. It's like two and a half minutes, but you will, Gail, the woman identifies in teaching strategies, practices, um, some concepts in a very brief way, but I think it's a good kind of survey, quick orientation. All right, so let's just uh, shoot. Great. So here we have an undergraduate and in the state of uh, New Hampshire, uh, I think the similar in North Carolina, perhaps so, I, I don't know if North, North Carolina has this requirement. 95% um, of the kids with disabilities, children with disabilities are in general education settings, in general physical education. Um, in some states such as California, if you have an IEP, you have uh, an the availability of an adapted physical education teacher, similar to what I think um, Jennifer was talking about, that there was an APE or consult going around. Uh, that's not the case here in New Hampshire. So all of our, most of our PE teachers will be teaching students with disabilities. It's typically no choice, they're just in the class. Um, so if that's the question, uh, I'm gonna go here and um, this, uh, these are some of the key concepts that you heard in there, least restrictive environment, um, inclusion spectrum, universal design for learning. So we'll touch on those a little bit. Uh, okay, let's just go down here. But so what, so what happens? Um, this is a curious thing. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Matthew and he came to our, um, trying to get you all on the side. Let's see if I can do that. He, he's a sled hockey player at the University of New Hampshire. And has any of you seen sled hockey or sledge hockey? Familiar with it? No? Okay. Um, well, it's basically, it's um, you are in a skate, in a sled with skates on the bottom of it. So it's typically for individuals with mobility issues, particularly in the lower part of their body. He, Matthew has cerebral palsy. Um, how you move is one end of the hockey sticks have picks, so you're pushing yourself across the ice. The other end has a blade, so you hit the puck. Um, we have a Division I team here at UNH, so he is a recruited athlete from Long Island. He's an honors student. Um, he's going to graduate with his master's in four years, not five years, which is very, very unusual. He, and he came to me like, he's like, I got to talk to you because of what happened to me. So I asked him to um, ask him to describe his physical education experiences. Division one athlete, honors education student, cerebral palsy, limited, somewhat, he, he walks, uh, he'll use a chair, but typically he walks throughout campus. So here is uh, his response about his physical education experience. Uh, I'm Michelle, we can't hear the voice. You can't, hold on one second. Let me just I think see. you should change the resource. Of all the I didn't use uh, even an option for adaptation. Can you hear that now? As a mom, like I kind of just stopped doing it because it really wasn't worth my. Let's try again. Sometimes a whole wellness center facility, which if I was given the opportunity to work out there, um, would have definitely um, been a huge benefit. And I feel like 
the schools are just unprepared to deal with even the most basic of accommodations. So yeah, what I'm just uh, starting. My name is Matthew Kastania and I'm a um, Sadaki recruit here and I'm from Long Island, New York. And my physical education experience through high school wasn't that great. Uh, most of my teachers kind of just didn't really provide any, uh, even an option for adaptation. And then as I went on, like I kind of just stopped doing it because it really wasn't worth my, my time. And um, I feel like it definitely could have been, a, definitely could have been a better experience, especially in, in my. Okay, so what's going on with Matthew? <laughs> my name is Matthew. Let me get you. What's going on there? My question to you, what is the, typically the biggest barrier for students with disabilities in the classroom? What do you think is the biggest barrier for students with disabilities? The biggest barrier. Access. Oh, sorry, Donald, go ahead. No, you're, uh, I was gonna say uh, access. Access is huge, yeah. Well, physical facilities, can they get in? Can they get out? That, that would be a big issue. Not the biggest issue, the biggest barrier. Adaptation. Let's say who is the biggest it's barrier. The, it's the teacher. The teacher is the biggest barrier. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. Perhaps I didn't phrase that correctly, but it's the, uh, the teacher, teacher is the biggest barrier. And typically it could be, I don't know. I have no idea. I can't, it's not my job. That's somebody else's job, paraprofessional, special education teacher. That's not what I signed up for. So in Matthew's case, here's a division one athlete. You know, he can really do everything, but for whatever the reason, the teachers couldn't think outside the box for lack of a better term, right? And why is that? In, why in physical education uh, does that occur? You, you know, it, it's, of course we know at the elementary level it's a little easier, but middle and high school. So what is that lack of creativity that does not allow students with disabilities to be a part of the program? Um, and I think we need to look at that and we need to look at the norms and the standards and what we think is what somebody, how somebody should move the whole concept of ability um, versus disability. and the way we understand ability. So that's why uh, universal design comes into play as a pedagogy for me, because it will help my students think differently about the, the way they plan and organize their classes. Comments, thoughts? One of the things that's come up for me throughout the, the doc program is this idea of either or versus both and. And so it feels like we um, culturally in the US, right, we are either or all the time. So you're either able or you're disabled, right? There is no both and, there is no continuum in there. And we do that about, uh, I mean, about everything, right? Um, that so many things are binary um, in, in education that um, this feels like this big, huge topic that I'm trying to sort of wrap my brain around. Um, and, and, and this idea of inclusion is part of that. Great, that's a great, those are great questions to pursue. You know, the whole construct of ability, I think is worth pursuing and understanding. So thank you. Other comments, thoughts? Um, I think the possible reasons why PE teacher react in that way is because of, they have to be responsible for the safety issue in PE class. 
because uh, safety issue is one of the most um, sensitive and important issues for P all the P teachers. So I think they might be afraid uh, the case that students with disability might get hurt during their participation in physical activity with other students because there are some kind of competitive activity in PE class. And also um, their uh, stereotype about PE class can be one of the possible reasons yeah, because um, some PE teacher can think PE teacher is only about movement. They really have to move their body. So yeah, they, I think that can be the possible reason. Safety is an interesting thing. So I would, I would agree, yes. And so that's where planning your class and thinking about your class, your content, your curriculum, your instruction would certainly come into play given all of the individuals in your class. That's, that is the first thing. Oftentimes the other thing we hear is, well, what about the other students? You know, they're not, they're not playing the game the way they should. And again, I think all of that, that, that's the teacher. That's the teacher's pedagogy, practice, instruction, what they deem and value as important. And I think there are cultural values to certain sports and activities, which, uh, you know, that's why when we look at the least restrictive environment, what is the best class and not necessarily an adapted class, but a, a class that a teacher creates and again, another subject. So, you know, this is part of it, you know, for a fair selection, everybody has to take the same exam, please climb that tree. And we ask our students to all do the same thing, but they don't perform the same way. We, we, we're not all the same individuals, you know, and the expectations that we have from them are that they will be the same. So we lose something. And I think sometimes physical education has this rigid idea of what counts as performance and ability. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the inclusion spectrum, but also be cognizant of time. So um, the inclusion spectrum from, uh, it comes out of the UK. And, um, and basically, it is a model for thinking about how you organize class. So um, we typically think of a student walks in, they sit, they take attendance, you have a command style or you have games play and you have learned about creative uh, pedagogies throughout this. But what I try to teach my students is that it's never the same. So you might come in and a PE class is very open in the beginning if there are stretching activities or a tag game that requires minimal adaptations, everybody can do it. But there may be the case where somebody, with, even without a disability, does not necessarily run as fast or might need support. So maybe you partner up that person if you're playing partner tag or if you ask students to hold hands or form a circle, there may be people who don't want to touch other people, particularly now. So there's a noodle or something attached. So you're thinking about those modifications for students, options. But then again, you know, we may have parallel activities, which I'll go into a little bit more. And again, it's how you organize the class. And finally, there are times when students with disabilities just really need separate, more focused instruction. That doesn't mean that they can't come back in the class, but I think teachers, we think everybody's in, again, that dichotomy, everybody's in or everybody's out. So what I'm suggesting here is that there are very ways that you, the, the classroom is a malleable space that through organization and instruction can accommodate a variety of skills and abilities. And again, this is a little bit about what I just talked about, open, modified, parallel, separate, 
and disability sport is sort of like when you play goal ball, sitting volleyball, bocce, those are sports designed specifically for individuals with disabilities. However, particularly for goal ball, if you're not familiar with it, everybody has an eye shade on. So everybody is equally uh, disadvantaged, if you will. Um, but it was a sport designed for uh, post-World War II uh, blind individuals. So disability sport really levels the playing field as does wheelchair basketball. You'll find that height doesn't have any matter in wheelchair basketball, which is a really cool thing. I love when those five foot three girls, females, you know, start popping in the hoops and the big guys can't figure out how to use their chairs so well. So it's kind of interesting leveling field. And that's the inclusion spectrum. So right here, what I want to just present is um, a little illustration of parallel. Uh, parallel is when I think about uh, swimming pool, I think about a parallel activity so that a student, uh, you'll have the slow, medium, and fast, if you will, for lack of a better term. Uh, that way you can accommodate um, people's abilities by their skills in an organized fashion. Um, so in this situation, what we see is this is a group of high school kids with and without disabilities, some with peer supports, and they came to New Hampshire Hall. And uh, does that, I don't think the climbing wall was there back there, Ben, but... Um, and we were playing this activity where you had to toss a scarf back to your partner and then switch places. There's a lot of noise in the gymnasium, a lot of kids. Kids love this. So just take a look here. But you'll even see in the middle, there's a little modification of somebody in a hoop and they couldn't quite change as fast. So here we have a little modified activity. <laughs> So in here, there's, you see they're staying very close to each other, but the rest of them are all going at their own speeds. It's loud, it's noisy, okay? So we have a little bit of a modified activity. Safety's not an issue. Everybody's got their space. Everybody's got their equipment. This boy, Austin, right here, uh, has, he's pretty impaired with autism. Uh, he is, when I say he's non, he communicates, but non-verbally in the sense, you know, there's a lot of, um, sort of a muttering type of thing. And he was like, no way, this is, I'm not this is not happening with me, too much stimulation going on. So if we look at this parallel activity, Gianna, one of my students, took him on the side, so over towards this end on this side, and just really worked with him. Here he's at accessing the skill. Um, he's working on a little bit smaller space, but again, that sort of parallel idea. And he's a part of the class, which he really wants to be a part of, but because of his sensory overload, hyposensitive, it just was like, whoa, I want to do this, but I really can't do this right now. So just take a look. Three. Nice job. One, two, three. Thoughts, comments? Pretty cool, pretty cool idea. If you're looking at, you know, a pedagogy of what the inclusion spectrum is and it, and when we look at our classroom, again, it's how I organize. This child could ever very easily be on the side with their paraprofessional not doing anything. So not accessing the curriculum. Instead, we're like, let's break it down. 
let's sh make the space smaller. You know, he's still not making his eye contact, but he's totally engaged in the activity, very happy to be a part of the activity. And if we made the assumption with students with autism, they don't like social, you know, they're, they're a little averse to social, that's not the case at all. He wants to be a part of everything. We just need to sort of work that into our teaching and our classroom organization. Comments, thoughts? I do have a comment. Um, thinking about parallel, and uh, I do teach a course that's basically uh, movement for the pre-K teachers uh, at the university. And so to talk about play and with younger children, so this kind of makes me think about how parallel play is a very important thing with early childhood education. And I think sometimes going to your previous slide about how a teacher has their own way of instructing in their, their this is my set pedagogy because this is what I know. I think sometimes what also happens, and you, you made reference to you know, elementary, uh, we might find more modifications happening. I, it's, it's not just certain individuals that have an IEP, perhaps. I think everyone needs modifications at all levels. And, but to understand that this parallel sense, you know, sometimes I think in physical activity, sport, physical education, we think everyone has to be all in doing the exact same thing where we can have someone with, in a parallel place when they're ready to come in. So I think what's so nice about this is individualizing the instruction to meet the needs for that person. Uh, makes me think of a, a student who had autism. And I remember she would walk uh, in, in my gym. I had like four or five wooden bleachers and when she first came in, because of just the sensory dynamics, she would just walk the top of the bleachers back and forth, back and forth. But then as she got used to it, she kind of came down each step. And eventually she was on the floor. And, you know, we didn't push. We didn't whenever she was ready. So I think seeing this is a really nice reminder of how we need to make sure we individualize and modify uh, based on what our students really need so they can be successful. I love that story about just when she's ready to come in, she's going to come in and she's got her learning in her own way and expressing her learning in her own style. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so at, if we continue to look at and, and we also um, at the high school level, I think we assume the students with disabilities are the ones that aren't capable when I think that it, I look at it more as a spectrum, like probably a third of the kids are really doing it and maybe two thirds, you know, we have the competent bystander and everything else. So it's not just the kids with disabilities who aren't engaged. Let's keep going. Okay. I'm not going to look at, we, you heard IDA. Um, I always go back, you know, there was a time when students weren't allowed in schools, civil rights, um, you know, uh, denial of access. So it's important historically to remember that people fought for these rights. And so as teachers to deny students the right, of access is we're doing a total disservice and we're continuing this sort of idea of difference is not okay. So it's, it's very important that we think about our own pedagogy and practices and how we can be inclusive and have students access the curriculum. And again, I'm not advocating inclusion. I'm just asking us to think about, you know, what works and how we as teachers can really look at our own teaching practices, modifications, equipment to accommodate a wide, a wide range of needs. Um, and again, the least restrictive environment has many, many options. And I teach, try to teach my students that it's not in or out. It could be a combination of in and out, could be a combination of I'm going to support you in a separate setting, but you're going to go into the general physical education setting, um, you know, pre-teaching. Maybe I'm going to just have a peer, we call it unified. I'm not a big fan of unified, the term, but P 
peer-supported class. Uh, so there's many options that teachers can create for their students with disabilities. And I think one of you talked about all the different types of mathematics teaching programs that you could have. And the same thing in physical education. Um, so with in UDL, and I don't know if um, most of you are familiar with it, but there's three key concepts, engagement, representation, and action and expression. And when I had my students develop their instructional videos, uh, they had to keep these in mind. So how are you gonna engage the student? Um, what are the multiple means of representation, which means how are you gonna teach them in very many different ways, visual, auditory, kinesthetic? And how are you gonna allow students, enable students to express their learning in their own way and not the expectation that you have of them? So these are the principles of UDL. And then, you know, again, principal engagement, instant activities. I say that attendance taking, you want to disengage students, take attendance, have them sit in rows in the beginning of the class as they come in, and you're, you've lost them already. So when you think of those engagement principles, music, peers, support, um, we really want to be equipment that you have. Representation, if I'm talking, most probably half of you right now are probably like tuned out or doing other things who knows so do you have visuals do you have representation so that students can get it the information in multiple ways modeling peer demonstration peer support uh written visuals cue cards packs any of those things the way that we teach is not just one way verbally and then action and expression which i think is the coolest what how does that student demonstrate their learning and the expectations we have for them they're not all the same and i don't when i say they're not all the same that doesn't mean that they're lower they're different so those are the three key principles of udl and um just for the sake of time i'm going to go through uh, a little application sort of model task here um and so if we have um an outcome, standard one, middle school, individual performance activities demonstrates correct technique for basic skills and a self-selected individual performance. Okay, so my idea, I'm the physical education teacher, my students are gonna demonstrate the correct technique for basic skills and they're selecting this activity. It's a climbing wall, it's 40 feet high. Um, it's middle school, this girl's very capable. But what we have on this wall are multiple options for choosing routes. So she's at a more challenging route, but over on the left, there's, this is actually more challenging with less. On the right, there's more. You know, she's good, she's going up. I'm really happy with that. But I know as a middle school teacher, some of my kids are gonna say, not having it, totally not having it. You know, I, I have no interest in climbing that wall, but I really want them to demonstrate a correct technique or move in patterns, bilateral patterns, crossing midline, those type of things. So I'm thinking about how I am gonna organize my class. What am I gonna do? And that's the big thing about UDL is planning. Uh, for some of the students, this is a different wall, but I can use the traversing wall. I can have them go across. And for the students who need sensory engaging activity, I've got scarves, I can work with a partner, they can help each other out, partners can support each other, peers. They can go under the noodles, grab the noodles in that way. So those students are still demonstrating the skill, uh, but not having to go up vertically. So they can go horizontally, whether you're in a chair, whether you wanna walk, keep your feet on the ground, that's an option. But then I still have these students who I know are like, they don't even wanna go near the wall. They're just not quite ready. 
So what am I going to do about that? I'm thinking about them having patterns, again, establishing their roots, so they're sort of visually tracking. So let's try this right here. Let's put, pat, let's put equipment on the floor so that I know they're creating their own pathways. They're moving bilaterally. They're moving on with their hands and their feet, and they're able to move according to their own way. Right? So again, we're offering opportunities. Not everybody has to do everything in the same way, and I'm thinking about this in my planning. Taking the same skill, pattern, climbing, opposition, grabbing, holding, and using it in multiple ways and multiple opportunities so that all students, with or without a disability, can access the curriculum. And that is a big part of the choice that we're looking at, okay? And again, I will just talk a little bit about universal design. I think as we look at uh, education um, in the 21st century, um, the way we want to engage students and think about teaching, it doesn't matter where or how, but having those principles really expands opportunities for all of our students. Um, and I think, yes, we can either uh, have questions or I think we have about five minutes just for discussion, which I would like to hear your thoughts, uh, comments, and uh, questions that you may have on that. Just a real quick question. Who's the publisher of the book on that previous slide? Is it Human Kinetics? It is Human Kinetics. And that is Lauren Lieberman, myself, mm -hmm. Allie Bryan, Katrina mm -hmm. Arndt. This just came out in um, January of this year. And uh, yeah, we've, we've done a couple of podcasts through Human Kinetics and everything else. So yeah, it's, um, I think it, it's a great resource. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, Michelle, and uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge, experiences, and perspectives of the inclusion of students with disabilities in PE with us today. And uh, I'm very interested in, you know, you shared two articles with us this week. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, I, uh, I'm very interested, you know, in reading them, and especially one of the articles that's a long one. I can't remember the title, but I learned <laughs> that... I learned that the uh, universal design of learning and uh, the differentiated instruction, uh, both of them can be used as frameworks to guide teachers, PE teachers, to include students with abilities in their PE class. And uh, my question is, um, is the UDL require more content knowledge or pedagogical, pedagogical content knowledge than uh, differentiated? differentiate instruction and what factors should uh, PE teacher consider when they decide to use differentiate instruction or, univer or universal design for learning uh, as a framework to guide their, uh, to guide their PE class. So I think that sounds like a great PhD. Uh, that sounds like a great dissertation uh, research object. So uh, th those are great questions and I'll try to I think for a teacher to be able to um, do what was demonstrated in the previous slides, they have to have content knowledge. And what I've seen with my younger students, less experienced, they, they're like, I never thought of that. I can't think of that. So content knowledge and experience are really, really important in order to differentiate and or apply universal design. Um, that's something that comes, but I think having the understanding has certainly helped them to think differently and shape their practice. But yes, content knowledge is really essential for 
understanding the different abilities and skills and what counts, at, you know, I say mild, medium, and spicy. What does that all look like? Great question. Thank you. Can I just do a wee piggyback on that, Michelle? Has anyone done any work with content knowledge and universal design? Any research or? Uh, we had something in APAC, but there was really, mm -hmm. it was more teacher practices that they did mm -hmm. within the classes, adaptations, UDL, but no one has looked at content. And that's just my own personal observation of the teachers that I see who are able to do it versus my young and older teachers. It does require a skill mm -hmm. you know, to know what, what's what. And accessing the curriculum requires knowledge of general levels of skill proficiency and what those all look like. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked because one of our first presenters was Phil Ward from Ohio State. He presented on content knowledge. And so uh, it's kind of interesting to see that come back uh, in your presentation. Uh, is, there a, is there a difference between differentiated instruction and uh, universal design for learning? Or what, what are the, the similarities and differences, would you say? That is a great question. And I know I've seen the answer written, <laughs> you know, like I've known the way I look at universal design, I look at differentiated instruction as more the instruction. So if you look at universal design, we have three components, engagement, um, representation, which is instruction, action and expression. So I see as differentiated instruction as that piece is you're going to teach different ways to different students, depending on what they need. It could be the scaffolding. It could be, you know, I say regressive skills or progressive skills. I think oftentimes the engagement though is what are the, what's the equipment that you're gonna use? What type of uh, facility are you using? What else is going on within that environment? And then uh, representation is really the tricky part what counts as um, of the skill or knowledge of the skill. And I don't know as differentiated instruction accommodates the breadth that we look at in universal design. Hope that sounded good because, you know, I'm, I'll tell you, that's basically, but that's also a good question. I think UDL is a little bit more comprehensive and breaks it down into those segments, which makes it a, a little easier to think about. Great answer. Uh, other questions, folks? No. Well, I hope, I, I think, uh, we, I think, I hope this, um, uh, you know, gives you pause to think about physical education, the way we teach. Again, I come from uh, a less traditional approach. My colleague, who's a wonderful guy, still takes a very traditional approach to teaching. Um, and it does take a while to sort of break those ideas, you know, if you're doing volleyball, do sitting volleyball. You know, you're going to teach kids different skills, but they've still got the game. But however, um, you know, those parallel activities can really reinforce that to be disabled, to have a disability doesn't mean you're not able and not quite capable, as we saw with Matthew in the beginning of the class. So just breaking the idea of what counts as ability that you have to have two legs, functioning legs and arms, um, and everybody else doesn't really count is... Uh, really what we're working towards here. Yeah, Michelle, I, I think, have a, um, oh, sorry. 
Donald and I are on the same wavelength. Yeah, no, I, I just we had we just had Tom Martinek on just before you as well. And I know Tom would have said those as well, and I think he said Don Hellison used to say whatever. It's good for kids. It's good full stop. Um, and I know from my own experience that you know lacking that content knowledge a lot of the times I've left students with uh, like students in my classes I've left them with students with moderate learning disabilities that have come from from our uh, from our learning units uh, that might have like down syndrome type x syndrome this kind of stuff and some of the best content that I've been able to create in my classroom came directly from 15 16 year old students themselves merely just observing and you know trying things out as well too um, and I think that that kind of stuff needs to be encouraged like uh, we, across all kind of physical education contexts as well too because there's a lot that the kids can actually pick up on and observe that you know even the the, the most skillful of teachers uh skilled teachers can can miss or not not pick up on too you know yeah thank you thank you other comments uh, i have a question um you were saying that you're teaching a course or you have taught a course in UDL, are you, is it titled UDL or is this an adaptive physical education class that is integrating UDL as the planning and delivery uh, method? It's, it's, I don't even call it adapted. <laughs> Cause I always, I never liked the word adapted physical education. It means that maybe that's not for me. I have to take that class. So it's, uh, we say inclusion in physical education. Cause again, 95% of the students with disabilities will be in classes. So you're going to have them. Um, and UDL has become a large piece of um, what they're doing. And I, I could, I could, if you have, do you have a minute then? No, yes. Okay, so I'm, I'll show you an, one instructional video. Would that, is that fair about what they did to apply UDL in this? So um, just uh, bear with me here and I'll see if I can do this. Let me get out of this. Okay, just trying to get out of, okay, it probably has to do stop share. Well, hold on a second. Um, let me just get out of this, this, no. Okay, so what I'm trying to get is my, all right, here we go, great. Okay, let's go over here, here. Uh, I go share. So we created this um, as a resource uh, for teachers from our, our, our teachers in the Seacoast that I work with. We have a big dance, if you wanna check it out. We had this unified dance, uh, not unified, we, we wanted everybody to dance together. Um, so we created categories. Um, uh, obstacle course, I can catch and throw, nutrition, I can keep my body, I can dance, um, jump and land. But this was, let me just see if I can get, hold on a second. Okay, here we go, sorry. Oh yeah, here she is, sorry. All right, great. This is an undergraduate student. Hi girls and boys, my name is Miss Nelson. Today, I'm gonna teach you how to do some super cool juggling moves with things that you probably already have in your own home. On the table in front of me, I have two pieces of tissue paper, two plastic bags, two napkins, two bandanas, and two scarves. If you don't have any of the equipment that I just mentioned, that's okay. You can find something in your own home that floats to the ground and has two different colors. 
I'm going to give you some skill cues that you need to learn before we start adding our equipment, and it'll help us when we're ready to juggle. We're going to start off by imaginary pinching our object. I'm going to pretend that I'm holding my plastic bag. I pinch the very middle of it, bring it down to my pocket, toss across my body, keeping the top of my hand facing the ceiling. Let go, catch, and then roar like a lion. Let's try it all together. Pinch, pocket, toss across, Representation catch, here. and roar. Pinch, pocket, toss across, catch, and roar. Awesome job, boys and girls. More teaching. Do you think you can read with me? Pinch, pocket, what comes next? Toss across our body and then catch and roar with the opposite hand. Good job. Do you think you're ready to add some equipment? I'm gonna start off with my plastic bag. I pinch in the middle, bring it to my pocket, toss across my body, catch and roar. Try it with the other hand this time. Okay, so we have, um, I, if you'd like, there's a whole bunch of videos um, on that, but the, really what I had the students do, sorry about that, is um, I had the students, they had to embed universal design in their teaching for that. So you'll see multiple means of expression, uh, engagement, and representation, which was a great learning experience for them. So um, and that, that's an example, and I can forward that to you if you want to look at some of the videos there. But um, uh, yeah, please do forward it to me and I'll, uh, I'll put the link on our uh, canvas. That'd be fantastic. That's great stuff. I might even be able to juggle one day. If there's a I know, uh, it was really good. <laughs> the, the plastic bags were like yeah, perfect. Brilliant. You know? Like just coming up with those things, a dish towel. Somebody was, instead of a parachute, she had a dish towel. So she would, you know, I'm like, this is a great parallel activity if somebody gets just a dish towel and uses them on the side. But those are what they, this my mm. students taught me about that. Yeah, much more creative than us. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, hey, uh, look, we've got a few more. So I have one question for you that I, I have to ask. And then if anyone else has a question, go for it. And then, you know, we can wrap it up in five minutes or whatever and see how much time. I know everybody's had a long day. My question is related to Pat Yetten, our friend from uh, New Hampshire, who you know very well. Um, and we've, uh, you've written with her and we've pres you've presented a lot with her. And uh, she is what we would call a master excellent teacher at the elementary level. But what she does better than anybody, I understand from what you're saying, is she does universal design for learning. Uh, what makes Pat a great teacher and what enables her to connect to the kids, would you say, kids, whether they have cerebral palsy or they have, they're on the spectrum or whatever? Do, do you know what I mean? Well, I would say curiosity. Sorry, sorry, I, I should have said it to you beforehand. I would just say curiosity. <laughs> That's all. I, I mean, it's, it's like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? That's all. How are we going to make this happen? Of course, it's not on the teacher's responsibility. If I have 25 kids with disabilities and 25 without, I need support, so I need support and services. But I think it's a real, like, how are we gonna make this happen? And that's why in the beginning, we talked about collaboration and there's all these pieces of it. But I think the teachers who are curious 
and you know, who want to see their kids participate, want to see peers work with peers, you know, kids work with kids. Those are the teachers that make it happen. You know, so that seems like a very simplistic answer, but I just say curious, you know, and they're curious and they're creative and they're educators. We're not here to educate a particular style of student or a particular way. We're here to educate our students. I sound like I'm on a soapbox right now. But not really. <laughs> You're on the universal design for learning. So. I think that everybody needs to be physically active, you know, everybody needs to be active and play and be, uh, you know, enjoy. And it's whatever that takes, I think is the important thing as educators. Uh, I mean, that was my uh, major question for right now. I've got a lot more and I'm going to ask you uh, probably in emails, but uh Folks, does anyone else have a question or dying question before we run away? I no. just have one. Go Jennifer. Yeah, thanks. Um, so in the uh, article that you wrote with Van Munster and Lieberman that we read, um, towards the end you talked about how um, that in the the differentiated instruction one that, that PE teachers should consider the relationship between the student, the activity, and the context, which is you have listed as individual task and environment. Yeah. And um, what struck me about that is that that is this like the smallest unit of inquiry in like Vygotskyan theory, right? Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about sociocultural theory, we can't actually talk about these things unless we talk about them as the student, the task, and the, the environment, right? And then later in that same sort of section, you um, go on and talk about how what UDL does, right, is go for this wide, these wide differences that you use between seeing, hearing, speaking, and the big long list, right, of attention, organize, engage, and remember. So my, I guess my question is, is, does UDL look different in, and I know the answer to this, so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to phrase it differently. Where does um, sort of this sociocultural lens sort of come in with the UDL as, as we look at it in sort of different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different, different settings, right? So like, what does this look, would it change? And am I Am I digging at something? Am I loose associating too far? Um, or, you know, would it look different in, say, inner city Greensboro than it does in, you know, rural New Hampshire? It's a great question. I would say it's going to look different in the same, uh, it's going to look different class to, from class to class uh, within the same school. So I, I don't think there's any prescriptive way. I think there's, um, so, so for example, if I give my students like a case study, they're gonna come up with five different answers to that case study and what they would do for their practice. Um, so I think it's unique to the teacher. Uh, certainly it depends on the area and whether, you know, you know how, I, I know within different parts of the country, students with disabilities are treated very differently than in the Northeast where I think we have a, I, I'd say we're ahead of the curve here just because of, um, well, Ben Dyson was here years ago and so he really established a legacy of cooperative learning. But we're very, we have an institute on disability. We have Northeast Passage at the university. We have you know, disability sports, those type of things, which you see kids in chairs walking around, you know, access is a big deal. It's not perfect, of course, but um, I, I'd say we're also a smaller population, less diverse. So, so, you know, it depends where you are. But I, every teacher is going to do it 
differently depending on what they see and know. So it's not prescriptive in any way, which is kind of the nice thing about it. Great, thanks. Thank you for that question. Good. This has been a wonderful class. Um, if you have any questions or decide to go along the line of, you know, uh, instruction, universal design, teaching students with disabilities, um, I'm happy to answer any questions, thoughts that you might have with regards to it. But Ben, thank you for asking me. It's, it is amazing to still see my first real professor who's back in the States. He's actually traveled around a fair amount. So. Good luck with your PhD programs and um, your your future in general. Thank you, Michelle. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, and I would like to give you a big thank you. A kia ora. You know, kia ora is a Maori word for thank you. Uh, and. Uh,